0: It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, good morning. My name's Rick. If I've not met you, I'm the campus pastor here. And I'm excited that we've got a great crowd here because when you're trying to sell someone to come to church, it's not really an easy sell, is it? When you're trying to say, you know what, you really need to come to church. It is an unbelievable place. You got to come with me. And they say, okay, so when do you meet? And And you're like, well, we meet early on Sunday morning, but who needs to sleep in anymore these days, right? Like, no, nobody likes sleep, and then you're like, see, it's, the, the great thing about church, though, is that it's not early enough so that you get the whole rest of the day. It kind of, like, lingers for the whole morning, and on a real bad day, it actually pushes past noon. But, like, you can't sleep in yet, but don't worry about that. It's a great place. The time may not be great, but we have some of the best, meet. like, we sing songs that are, like, multi platinum they're sold all around the world these are like the best songs you could ever sing we have kind of like a karaoke band doing them but really it's great music so uh, sometimes i'm in the band there don't worry <laughs> and but then but then like, there's this, there's this amazing talk that's given every Sunday morning. There's another reason why you need to come to church. There's a guy who tells you all the ways you've disappointed God this week, and he makes you feel a little bit guilty. But then, but then sometimes they talk about forgiveness, and we all walk away feeling okay in the end. Oh, oh and they're going to ask you for money. They tell you you don't have to give money, but they're going to ask you for money. <laughs> And then they're going to ask you to volunteer your time. It's not okay just to attend to get up early, but you actually have to volunteer seriously. It's the best place you could ever imagine going. So will I see you next Sunday? <laughs> you guys are crazy, right? <laughs> I'm shocked that anyone shows up on any given week. The only reason why the only reason why we're here is not it's not convenient in our time it's not conveni- it's not the most it's not the f- most fun place to be the only reason we're here is we have discovered something unmistakably life-giving about faith in Jesus Christ and coming together to celebrate that there's something about a relationship with each other our relationship with the Holy Spirit and, and, and there's even energy in sacrificing our sleep and sacrificing our dollars and we sacrifice it so that other people will have that same experience and find their way back to God. That that's the only reason why we come and we recognize that. We do our best to make it the best to make it the best time and the best music and the best experience. But that's not why we're here, because you can find better times and better music and better experiences all over the place. We're only here because we believe there's something better. And we have discovered that to follow Jesus and to align our lives with his teaching actually improves our lives. So the question we want to look at this morning is what do we do when our lives don't get better because we're following Jesus? What happens when we, when we say, okay, I'm supposed to give money, I, I hear that, I read that in the Bible, the, the Old Testament, they gave a tenth of everything, and then Jesus came and said, you should actually give everything away, and just give your clothes away, and do, just give it all away, don't own it. So what do I do when I do that, and then I can't pay my bills on Monday, because I gave too much on Sunday. So I, I did what Jesus asked me to do, and now I don't have any money to do that. <laughs> What about what about when I came to Jesus and I, and I believed in him and I have faith that he can heal people. I read about that all in the Bible, so I'm praying for, and then I just keep getting more sick and more sick, and people around me are sicker. We've been going through, if you know my family story, we've been going through, our daughter ha- has had a health challenge um, for the last five months, and it's not serious or, or life-threatening, but she's had some, some spasming going on in her wrist every day, day after day after day. And she asked me the other night, she said, why why do we pray every night about this? Because Jesus doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. (laughs) And she's right. We're praying, and there is no change. And I said, that's a really good question. You should come to church on Sunday. And... We're overworked and we're overstressed, and for those of you who volunteer with us, you see a planning center request in your inbox week after week after week saying, why are you asking me to serve? I don't have enough time to do my life, and you want me to come and volunteer at the church. What do we do when we're doing what we're supposed to do, but, but then life doesn't work out? Well, if you're new with us this week, we've been going through a seven-week series called Moses Unscripted, and Moses one of the most famous characters in the Bible, and we think, man, Moses must have been this amazing person and he just had it all figured out and life went good for him and he had the perfect relationship with God. But what we've actually seen over the seven weeks is that, no, Moses didn't have it all figured out. He messed up all the time and he struggled with the exact same kinds of thoughts that you and I had. And Moses was feeling lost, and he felt like he didn't have a home. He wasn't at home in Egypt, and so then he went into the wilderness. And, and then when God called him out of that wilderness time when he was feeling lost, he said, okay, God, I, I'll serve you, but I don't really have anything amazing that I can do. And God said, do you have a stick? And he goes, I do have a stick. And the, so then God used his stick, and, and, and we, we kind of aligned ourselves and empathized with Moses, that, that feeling of, well, I don't really have anything important to offer God. And God said, yeah, I do have something that you can do, even if it's just a stick. And even when it didn't go well and he faced all these obstacles, when he was trying to serve and trying to lead, we figured out that, that you know, just because you meet an obstacle, it isn't a sign that you've stepped outside of God's plan. And, and then we culminated last Sunday recognizing that, that the blood that they put on their doorpost that was going to bring them out of Egypt was not only a symbol of their freedom out of Egypt, it was actually a foreshadowing, just like Leslie was talking about, the first foreshadow of Jesus who was to come and give us freedom, that we, we wouldn't even have to do anything to experience that freedom. All we would have to do is believe. But I, I want us to watch what happens next as we're in this last week of this series, in Exodus 14. And if, you, or if you're going to follow along in your Bibles, you can open them up to Exodus 14. If you don't have a copy of the Bible and you'd like to borrow one this morning, just quickly pop up your hand. There's Bibles at the back, and one of our ushers will make sure you get a copy of the Bible. It's also on our Portico app. Portico app's a great place. You can download, uh, download that app, and you can find all your notes. You can find um, uh, last week's messages. You can catch up on things like that, and all the notes will be in there. They're also in the bulletins you received on the way in this morning. We're looking at Exodus 14, verses 5 through 7, and here's what it says. Moses, after going through all of this, They've just left. They've just been made free. And when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, fled is an interesting word, because they didn't really flee, he asked them to leave, and he sent them away with with wealth. And when Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We've let the Israelites go, and we've lost their services, because they were free labor for them. So he had his chariot made ready, and he took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt, so thousands of chariots carrying multiple officers to chase them down with officers over all of them. Now, this was not the way that it was supposed to go, and this is what we want to spend some time looking about. What happens when we're trying to serve God and everything seems to go wrong? Is it God's fault or is it our fault? (laughs) And two weeks ago we talked about obstacles and we were looking at what happens when you're serving, when you're trying to lead something out and you meet an obstacle. I just want us to look at our relationship with God this morning and say, what happens to my faith and my relationship with a God who isn't operating the way that I thought that he would operate when he's not not doing things in the midst of a predicament? And predicament's the word we're going to use, and so when you're filling in your blanks, we get to the first one this morning. A predicament, what it does is it often provides the environment for your obedience to be tested. I came to faith when I was in, was in my teenage years. I went and I studied uh, the Bible in a Bible college for four years, and uh, Amanda and I had just been newly married. We were, we were married about a year and a half, and we went and we took a new job. I went and took a new job in London, and so she had to go find a job teaching, and we'd only been there about a year, and we recognized that this wasn't the right place for us to to lead, to pastor we we had just bought a house we were just newly married and amanda was doing some um, supply teaching and she had some part-time work at fanshawe and i really felt that god was saying you're supposed to uh, you're you're not supposed to be leading here i have a different plan for you now what do we do with that so we just moved to a new city we just made the largest investment we'll ever make in our lives we're trying to figure out marriage, and for anybody that's been in any kind of long-term relationship, you know the first couple years, there's, there's like the first good time, and then you get to that next time where it's like, now we're really getting to the real stuff. Yeah, we were in that phase of marriage a, a year and a half in, and I'm a newer Christian, and I'm saying, and God, you, you, you told me we thought we were moving to London to do the right thing to, to lead in this church, and now you're saying we're supposed to quit, and I, I'm supposed to quit and we have to pay a mortgage, we have to do all this. I wasn't too happy with God. I was only only five or six years into actually being a Christian at all, and it was in that moment that I felt either God was a failure or I was a failure. One of us was wrong, (laughs) because this didn't work out right. Have you ever felt that way? Either God, yeah. I failed or God failed, because something doesn't add up. And let's look at Exodus 14 and 3. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around in a land of confusion, hemmed in by the desert. So Pharaoh said, I'm going to catch them right when they're hemmed in by the desert and on the other side was a big body of water, the Red Sea. So they had nowhere to go this way. They had been wandering around in the desert and now the arm, Pharaoh's armies are coming this way. And I bet there were a lot of Israelites that said, what are we going to do now, Moses? Because you told us we were going to freedom, and now we can either drown or we can be trampled by these Egyptian chariots. And when life starts to turn like this, is it evidence that we made a turn or is it evidence that God is not who he said he was? And, and listen, it's easy to draw that conclusion, especially if we entered our faith journey believing that to serve God meant our life would go well because, hey, I'm sacrificing sleep on Sundays, I'm sacrificing dollars, I'm sacrificing my time, so my life's going to get better, right? That's actually some pretty bad theology. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but, but to believe that line of thinking means that we believe those who have the easiest life or the best life, those are the people that God is happiest with, if we, if we truly believe that when I serve God and the more that I sacrifice, the better my life will be, that means we could easily go around and say, well, anyone that has sickness, anyone that has failure, God must not be happy with them. And God must be happier with, with uh, first world nations than he is with developing nations. Because, because obviously there's more resources there, so God's blessing must be on them and he's not on other places. And being born in Canada with privilege is not necessarily a sign of God's blessing. I, I just don't see that in the Bible. At best, it's an invitation to use the freedoms and benefits of being a Canadian to make a difference in the world. And at the least, I just feel lucky that I wasn't born in a place where I would be told that, that Jesus Christ was not a prophet, that Jesus Christ was a liar. I'm, I feel lucky that I was born in a place where I don't have to walk great distances to get water, but I don't believe that it's necessarily God's blessing in saying, I, I chose to bless you in this way. And when people in circumstances that are difficult choose choose Jesus, it's a, it's, it's a spiritual miracle. When, when people who are raised totally that there's no God but Allah choose Jesus, it's a miracle. When, and, but that doesn't mean that their, their life is going to change. In fact, it probably means their life is going to change for the worse. Then it's going to change for the better circumstantially. I even struggle with the word blessing because I don't necessarily see evidence in Scripture that God's favor is paired with money or paired with health or anything like that. At times, that happens, but it's not, it's not A plus B equals C. Obedience and belief in God equals that kind of blessing. In fact, I can build a fairly strong case out of the Bible that to serve God means you are forfeiting a lot of those blessings. <laughs> Jesus chose to serve his Father's will, And I want you to think about his life. He chose to have no job, chose to have no home. He chose to lay down his life. His blessing was that everyone else experienced freedom. His blessing was death so that you and I could receive life. And look at his response to to, to really recognizing what his blessing was going to be in John 12 and 27. Now my soul is troubled. So we we can't take the humanity out of Jesus in this. His soul was troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No. <laughs> no, it was for this very reason that I came to, this This is him just before he's, he's going to die. It was for that very reason, the suffering, that I came to this hour. And I know many of your stories. You know a lot of my story. We are doing our best to serve God. We are doing our best to, to, to get and be connected into a church, to serve into that. We have, we have an amazing group of ministry partners that over, over 120 people that make this body of christ this church portico run and you and you and you really do give and you really do sacrifice and in fact i would say if this is correct line of thinking we earn god's favor but life regularly hands you and i what we would call a toxic situation where people are against you or life is against you or or, or the, the challenge that you face today seems insurmountable even though we've earned god's blessing or god's favor and I think it's in these times that our allegiance and our obedience better be tested. Like we better start to question and say, "Is this where am I? Am I where I'm supposed to be? Is God trying to tell me something?" We should have that kind of turmoil going up inside of us. This is where we wrestle with our faith, but it's also where we come to the point: Is our faith larger than the circumstance that we faith uh, that we face? Do you put more weight in what the Bible says is the character of God? than what we put in how the economy or the job market is faring? Do we put more weight in saying that, that uh, I'm your father, you're highly favored, and you're loved? Or do we put more weight in the relationships around us that sometimes tell us, well, we're not favored in love or loved? Do we put more faith in who Jesus has called us to be if we're a student in school or the climate of what's happening at our school? And it's not easy to remain submissive to God. It's not easy to continue to be obedient when things aren't going well. And when life isn't working out the way that we plan, but, but that's why we need to understand that that blessing is not necessarily comfort. Psalms 1 one and 2 is the beginning of the psalm. The Psalms is written as, as, a, as an entire work of, of worship and, and just offering raw feeling and emotion to God. Here's what it says. Blessed, not blessed is the one with money, not blessed is the one with health and wealth. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but blessed is the one who delights in the law of the lord and who meditates on his law day and night that's a biblical answer of what blessing is we come with that with a very different thought of what blessing is jesus said that blessed are those who keep peace blessed are those who mourn and how do you respond when life gives you a predicament that seems to be unfair that seems to be not working out the way you thought it would be. Or how do you feel when you feel like God is just being really passive right now? He's not active in what I'm doing. This is the common point where people walk away from their faith. Th- this, is, this is why we say, well, I'm not getting up for church next Sunday unless this changes. I'm not serving or giving anymore unless this changes. And that's why these predicaments, they, they, they make this environment where our obedience is going to be tested. And, and we just need to be open and honest about that. You know what else the predicament does? It presents us with the opportunity to develop character and attitude. Even though our faith is tested, even though our, our obedience is going to be challenged, we now have this great opportunity to develop. How's that for reframing? When life, is, when life is going poorly, it's an opportunity to what? Develop character and attitude and love the way we were told to love. Love the way the Bible outlines love. To serve the way the Bible outlines serve. When the Jews looked at the Egyptians coming, what did they perceive it to be? Complete failure. They, they're, they're drowning or they're, being, um, or they're being overtaken by this army. They go, this, this is a complete failure. Moses, you blew it. God isn't who he said he was. God had told them to leave Egypt. Why? So that they would be free to go and worship him. And they were about to lose everything that they thought God had intended for them. That they thought God had intended for them. Perception is reality. You've heard this, right? What you perceive to be true is your reality. However, (laughs) perception is not always reality. Your perception is your reality. But your perception is not always reality. It dictates the way you're going to live and it dictates what you believe to be true. But what if your perception is wrong? What if you perceive that if you do this, God would do this? what if it's wrong what does that mean for your life i live in a world and i'll just be honest i live in a world where i believe the leafs of the raptors could win the championship at any at any given year <laughs> this is this is my world that, that that i live in i watched them lose i watched like i watched i watched thursday night the raptors lose by i don't even know how many points that turned out in the end it was horrible and yeah like 50 points right and then but what did I do yesterday I turned it back on and I sat and I watched that thing again believing they're going to do it and and for a while it was it was t- touch and go but then they did it and and I'm back on board and I feel like like there's a chance that that they could do it this year and I believe and I spend hundreds of dollars every year going and I and you can tell I invest a lot of emotional energy into this and And I yell at the TV positive things. I'm not one of those angry yellers. I want them to pass the ball. They gotta pass the ball around the. (sighs) It's so stressful. (laughs) Right, we're doing something else here. Okay. If, If the reality is that they will never win, if that's the reality, what a waste of everything that I invest into it. If the truth is, my perception is wrong. The Israelites had wandered and circled for days, and now they were backed against this body of water, the Red Sea, and they were being pursued by the Egyptian army, and they had this perception. This was lose, lose. We throw ourselves into the water, or we die. And so they decide that, that God isn't, their perception was God isn't who he said he was, or Moses made a horrible mistake. That's, what, that's how they were going to respond to life. Exodus 14 and 11a, here's what they say. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Isn't that a very poetic way to, to, to complain? <laughs> Where there are no graves in Egypt... <laughs> This is Moses who wrote this down later, right? So you know that this is probably what they said. He, he wasn't making them sound fancy. It is, it's, a very, it's a very wonderful way to complain. But, but we, we listened to you, we trusted God, and things are going wrong. And again, I, I can't say that I blame them. Because when you are doing your best to serve God and life kicks you when you already feel down, you want somebody to blame. And it certainly isn't, isn't you. And I'm not, saying that, I'm not saying that in a derogatory way. You know why we don't blame ourselves? Because we know how hard we're working. We know the earnestness with which we tried to believe in God, and we tried to trust God. And God is a very natural scapegoat (laughs) because he claims to be able to control what happens to people and happens to life. And we get in these predicaments, and our character and our attitude is challenged, but it's an opportunity to actually flip those around and go, no, I'm going to grow in who I am, and my character, and my attitude. There's Barbara Johnson. She's a professor of literature and law at, at Harvard. She also has a little... Um, she, she, she said this, and now it's been on Amanda's classroom, and it's been in our house. This is, this is a quote we live by. Attitude is the mind's paintbrush. It can color any situation. I love that. Attitude is the mind's paintbrush. It can color any situation. You and I can experience the exact same thing and we or we face the exact same thing, go through it, but we experience them very differently. I'll give you an example. Throw this first picture up. If you found if you, if you saw this, who is excited out of their mind free skydiving courses, you're going right now? Who's who's ready? A few people. <laughs> free skydiving courses. Some people are excited, who thinks that is a death wish right there, right there <laughs> Exactly. So the the exact same thing you, two people face, and they go, no, that, that's exciting, that's horrible, that's, that's entertainment, that's torture. The exact same set of circumstances. Let's go to the next one. It's a fun one. Those are, those are Krispy Kreme donuts <laughs> on a burger with two types of cheese. Now, <laughs> who's ready for lunch? Who's ready for a heart attack? <laughs> right? <laughs> Who's ready for both? Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, okay, I see. Yeah, that's that's something else, man. That, that, I'm not sure that, that I, I want that one either. We've got we've got we've got one more. Uh, one more. Who is who is relaxed? Who's bored out of their mind? Yeah. Thank <laughs> <Make> you the burger. <laughs> Back to the burger. (laughs) The way we approach any situation completely changes how we experience. Philippians two and fourteen says this: do everything without grumbling or arguing. That's pretty comprehensive. Do everything without without grumbling or arguing. Parents put that one on the fridge because that gets here's what the Bible says, kids do everything without grumbling or arguing. When you're going to work tomorrow, no grumbling. No arguing. When your boss asks you to do something that's unfair, that's unethical, that doesn't line up with how you would it, do everything without arguing or complaining. When you're cleaning the gum off the bottom of the car seats, do everything without complaining. When you have to go To the cancer clinic this week, do you go without complaining? When you have to leave your desk and you get walked out of your office, do you do it without arguing or complaining? Your mind has the ability to change absolutely everything about how you experience every challenge in life. Isaiah 53 and 7. This is a prophecy about Jesus. He was... Oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. As a sheep is getting everything cut off, sometimes killed. Silent. Jesus endured death without complaint. He endured death as an opportunity to be who he was created to be. And what is the thing right now in your life that you complain about? Don't speak it out. (laughs) it's that pastor he won't shut up no (laughs) what is the thing you complain about is it possible that god has a purpose for it is it possible that the very thing that you complain about is actually not an affliction and it's not a sign that the blessing of god isn't on you is it possible that your character is now being developed as you go through it that your faith is being developed, that your your ability to say, you know, my trust is not in my circumstance, my trust is not in my well-being, my trust is in my God who says my future is secure. Is it possible that your entire faith journey could be cemented right now because you remain faithful in the midst of this challenge? The Israelites were about to go through 40 years because they were, we're we're gonna get to this next phase where, where they wandered for 40 years because of a little bit of unfaithfulness. God was trying to cement faith in them at this time when it looked like it was lose-lose. Both situations meant death. He was trying to say, I want to develop a little bit of character within you, so you've got to go through this because something else is coming around the bend. Last one is that a predicament is a context where your faith is given the opportunity to mature. And if we ended Moses' story here, we're, we're going we're to end Moses right here. And we want to show you that Moses' attitude and his character and his faith was already there before God did anything. He looked at what God had done. He saw the predicament he was in and look at the words that he says, Exodus 14, 13 and 14. I love this. Moses answered to the people, do not be afraid of death on both sides. <laughs> don't, don't, don't be afraid of assured death. Stand firm Look at this confidence. You will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Moses had no idea what God was going to do. He only had the promises and what he had experienced God do in the past. And then he says, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. (laughs) I bet there are a lot of people who need to hear that. Just stand still and watch what God is going to do at some point. I bet there are a lot of people who walked in here with thoughts that we raised just resounding in their minds that I sacrifice a lot for God and life is not so great. And if God has the power to make things better, then why doesn't he just do that? Like, I I, I don't, and you know what? I I didn't have an answer for hope that night. Why doesn't he heal you? No idea. But I'm not going to stop praying. I'm not going to, every night, I'm going to sit there, and even on the nights when it's been a rough day and I don't really want to have those kind of comforting moments, I'll just pray silently, God, Holy Spirit, you heal her hand, because you are the God that created her, and you are the God that can heal her, and in Jesus' name, heal her. I'm not going to stop that just because yesterday it didn't work. I'm not going to stop believing that God isn't going to keep changing people's lives just because he didn't do it yesterday. I'm not going to believe that God isn't going to provide jobs because some people are out of work. I'm not going to stop because I know what God did in the past and I believe that to be true and the circumstance is not going to tell me how God operates. My relationship, my Bible, the Holy Spirit is going to confirm how God operates. And this morning, we want to give us all an opportunity to mature in our faith. And I'm calling us all to a faith response this morning. That we would say, the challenge I face today is not bigger than the God that I serve. Over the past year, a couple years now, we were tracking with the story of Kevin and Julia Garrett. And I know many of you, many of you know their stories. They lived as global workers in China since the 80s. This is a couple that were a part of our Portico family before we were even Portico. <laughs> they started a business and they were gonna. They raised their family in China. They shared their faith as they lived their lives. They shared their faith with a group of people that may otherwise never hear the name of Jesus. People's lives were changed because of what they did. And in 2014, they were they were invited to a dinner and they were gonna come talk about some business things and as they were leaving dinner they were grabbed and separately they were taken and they were held in prison and they remained there for over six months not ever even speaking to each other they were forced to sign a letter agreeing to be investigated and what that meant was solitary confinement followed by sharing a jail cell with then 14 people that was no more than 12 feet wide you're in a jail cell with 14 people that's 12 feet wide after 19 months kevin's release was granted he was reunited with his family think of this two years of torture two years of separation betrayed by china definitely played a little bit by the canadian government we were unwilling to force a release because that had political consequences and we, we understand all these reasons what would you do with your faith at that point you had left your life you had left your freedom in canada you had gone being obedient to god not doing any not even doing anything against the government of china they, were, they weren't giving secrets like they were told that they were giving. Betrayed by everyone. And back in the fall, we were privileged to host a night at the Mississauga campus where they were able to stand before their friends and say that, you know, even as I'm sharing this jail cell, even when I'm in being tortured, even when I'm in solitary confinement, I never lost trust that my God was with me. I never looked back and said, I would do it differently. And even in their statement to the media, not just their statement to us as a church, in their statement to their media, to the media, they confess that part of them wants to go back to the nation that became home. How does a couple do that? How does a couple say, yeah, I'll go back there where I may be taken again, where, where God let me down? How do they say that? Because they believe God didn't let them down. They believe that there's a purpose, that there's a reason, and that their their security doesn't come in what they experience in life today. Their security comes trusting that God is creating a home for us in heaven where there will be no letdown, where there will be no pain, there'll be no sickness. We won't worry about our finances. We won't worry about any of that. And understanding that the only way to have a relationship with God is to have full faith that he's in control and I trust I trust that what I face today, he's allowed. And I trust that he'll give me peace in a difficult situation. I trust that he'll give me joy when I should be sad. And I trust that my future is with him. Joshua 1.9. This is as Joshua was getting ready to lead the Israeli army against a walled city of Jericho. And how, how were they going to do it? They weren't going to fight. They were just going to walk around and get made fun of, which is a crazy idea. Here's what he says. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and don't be be discouraged. Some people need to hear that today. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I believe there are some people that need to step out today and your faith response is just this. God is in control even though it doesn't look or doesn't feel that way. And just by indicating this morning with all of us just being together in this room, who would... Who, who, who needs to say God's in control, even though it doesn't feel that way? I know I do. Anyone else this morning? So we're going to sing a song. It's a great way to respond, and it just talks about God about when Peter was called out on to the water, and when Jesus called him to come. Even though you can't walk on water, Jesus told him just just trust me that what doesn't make sense makes sense. And uh, for us this morning, as we respond this way, I. As you worship, give that situation to God and say, God, I give give my trust to you, not trust to my circumstance. Can you lead us, Heather? Lord, I pray over us as a group that's gathered here this morning. And you saw a bunch of us put our hands up and say that there's stuff we face today that it's making us feel like we failed or you failed. And forgive us, Lord, because neither is true. Lord, the truth is that we stand here with a the hand up just saying, I need to trust in you and I need to trust that I'm doing my best and my life and my, every decision that I make is secure by you and the power that is only found in Jesus' name. And Lord, I do pray for miracles to happen in each one of those situations. There are people who do need something done in their body. And in Jesus' name, we pray that next week we get together and we hear that, God, people are healed and they're not facing the same challenge anymore. In Jesus' name, would people be healed from the sickness that they have inside of them? God, I pray for finances. I pray for just money to come from places that were not expected. And in Jesus' name, that that that, that bills that are outstanding right now will be covered by somebody reacting and saying, yeah, I, I, I need to cover this bill. And we trust that it's the Holy Spirit prompting somebody. In Jesus' name, would you do these miracles? And God, when they happen, we'll give you praise. And Lord, when they don't happen, we'll trust you anyway because our faith is not in our circumstance. Our faith is in you. And we're going to be like the three, those three guys standing in front of a fire in the book of Daniel. And they said, we trust that our God can deliver us from the fire. And even if he doesn't, we will not curse the name of the Lord. And here we are, Lord. We stand. And when you do it, we give you praise. And when you don't, we trust you even more. And it just draws us closer to you, brings us more into this dependent relationship, Lord. And Lord, I thank you for the freedom and the strength that has found independence, not in independence. Because in independence, we we go alone, Lord. And I pray that as a church, we would learn that the strength and dependence on you, dependence on each other. And the joy that there is and not needing to worry and not having to have control, Lord. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the things that you started in our lives, the miracles you've done instantly, the way that you've challenged our minds just by looking at your word. We thank you, Jesus, and we ask this all in your name. Amen. Amen.